Like Cookie Monster voice. It's like a death metal podcast. <laughs> I can switch gears. Yeah. I'm up for a change. <laughs> Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. Welcome to the Misfit Stars podcast. I'm Shannon Curtis. And I'm Jamie Hill. Hello, listeners. Hi, Shannon. Hi, honey. Wow, we probably have so many new listeners. Our friend Whitney uh, gave us a shout out in Thanks, the newsletter. Thanks, Whitney. Thanks, Whitney. Yeah, super cool. So, uh, new listeners, I just want to apologize in advance. This is our first podcast in like three weeks. We're rusty as hell. I'm a little <laughs> bit out to lunch. Uh, we, we might be too rested. Uh, I'm concerned. So, you know, if this podcast mm. sucks, I just want you to know it's it's not our fault. I don't know. <laughs> Actually, it's, it's totally <laughs> our fault. You're setting a low bar for yeah. low expectations. No, it's right? going to be great. What are you I talking think it's about? Gonna be, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's it's going to be really good. What are we talking about in this episode? Later on in this episode, we're going to be talking about internalized oppression. And for people uh, who have been sort of paying closer attention over the last month or so, this is now part four of our ongoing sort of long-form discussion that we've been having about how to reorient ourselves in relation to society at large as we move forward from the before times into whatever's next. Right, and it's it's just this it's this conversation that started uh, in one place and it's sort of like meandered, like rabbit-trailed to new ideas and new thoughts and new questions for the last four episodes, the fourth episode mm-hmm. in, in that spirit. It's been great. We've gotten you know feedback from listeners, which has spawned some of our conversation and thoughts and that continues today. And so who knows how long this will go, but if you need to catch up before you listen to this episode, Mm -hmm. you can go back to, I think it was uh, back to episode the June 9th, I think was the episode where we started all of this. That sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. June 9th, our dreams generally don't involve corporations. That was kind of the the kickoff. uh, And we continued on June 16th with constant conflict between narrow interests Yep, and June 20, Third, whose dreams are we dreaming? Mm-hmm. And couple we can, dream-related headlines there. Yeah, yeah, well, it's okay. It's it's all rel- it's all related. Yeah, it's a- and, and then we took a couple weeks off, and so this is picking up from that previous discussion. Yeah, yeah. So if you feel like hitting pause and catching up, go for it. Misfits, if not, just join in. Misfitstars.com slash listen is a great place to catch up on mm-hmm. uh, back episodes. But they're also anywhere that you're currently listening to this, too. True, true. So uh, before that, though, people, here's the deal. Misfit Stars is how our people support the work that we do. So it's not just a podcast. Yeah, it's a podcast. You're listening to it right now. We hope you love it. Disclaimer aside, I think it's actually going to be a pretty good episode. Misfit Stars, though, is sort of a bigger thing for us. It's a community. And uh, in this community, we get a lot of month-to-month sort of sustaining work. We're kind of mm-hmm. moving to a sustaining supporter model in our in our work. Mm-hmm. You know, this whole thing that we were taught when we were kids, that music is a widget, that you make widgets, sell widget, right? That you make music, sell music. That's kind of changed. You don't sell music anymore. People don't generally buy music. No. (laughs) And also, Shannon and I have learned that removing transactionality from our lives at every opportunity we get is really healthy and good for us and also opens us up to a much broader definition of what we do in the world. Right, because I think also one of the things that we've learned over the years is that what we do is not just music. No. Like, that is an aspect of what we do and it is an aspect of what we do that really 
hones in on some particular skills and talents that you and I have. Like musical skills and talents, yeah. for example. <laughs> but really, you know, what we've uncovered over the years is that uh, that music is one part of the the who we are and what we do in the world. And It's a front door for us now. Yeah. We get to know other people by doing music for them, with them, near them. <laughs> they're like, please stop. We're like, no, we're doing music. Come join our music thing. And they're like, no. But that really, that, that hopefully the, the, the experiences around music are leading to conversations and connection yeah. uh, around deeper, more important things that, have, that make a real difference in, in, in terms of the lives we're living and in the world we're creating together. Yeah, it's not a monoculture around here, people. Uh, we're deeper than that. Yeah. At least we hope we are. We, we strive to be in our better moments. Sometimes we reach that lofty goal. I'm pretty sure that most deep people go around claiming to be deep. I think so. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you remember that famous quote of Einstein's where he's like, I'm so deep? I don't, I don't think he actually ever said that. Well, I was in German. Uh no. <laughs> ich bin deep. Yes. Albert Einstein. Okay. So Misfit Stars is this whole sort of umbrella over and and, and encompassing all of the stuff that we do and also in, in this community that we are a part of. And um, so there are two things. First of all, if you would like to become a more intentional part of the Misfit Stars community, mm-hmm. we would love that. Uh, we have our own private social network of which you could be a part uh, when you join Misfit Stars. So if you want to join, you go to misfitstars.com slash join. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, if you look at this from a different way and you're like, you know what, these things that Jamie and Shannon do in the world, uh, music included and the other stuff, this podcast, the community uh, organizing and and those kinds of things, uh, the mentorship, the, there's so many, there's lots of things that we do. But if this is something that you think is important and you want to throw your monetary support behind it to sustain it, mm-hmm. well, that would be awesome. Yes, it would. And you can do that at misfitstars.com slash support. Yeah. And really the slash join and the slash support kind of land you into the same sort of realm. It's just a, becoming a monthly subscriber, supporter of what we do here yeah. at Misfit Stars. And we are so grateful. Yeah, and we we could use your help. Frankly, we could use your support. Uh, there is never enough support for a married pair of independent artists. <laughs> yeah. Boy, isn't that the truth. <laughs> We're doing okay, but you know, uh, the, the kind of equation here is that the more of this community-based support uh, we're able to aggregate on a monthly level, really, it just that's that translates one-to-one directly to how much we're able to pay back into our communities. Yeah, for sure. And for me, like Shannon touched on, that looks like mentorship. I do so much mentorship of other artists, uh, producers, engineers, teaching them what I know about mm-hmm. making records so I can help empower them to make their own records for themselves and for other people, mm-hmm. you know? This is just sort of, it's like Jamie U. <laughs> yeah, Jamie, Jamie University. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. I have been taking a whole lot of people to Jamie University uh, <laughs> and teaching them all kinds of amazing stuff about how to make records over yeah. the past year. That's paid for by our community. If you would like me to add another person to that roster, 
Sign up at misfitstars.com slash support. That's what you're supporting. Yeah, absolutely. It also gives us freedom as artists to figure out new ways and imagine new ways to do what we do to be of service to the community. Yeah. Like we don't have to spend so much time figuring out if, okay, if I'm, I'm going to make this thing so I can sell this thing so I can pay that bill. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, when we have support from our community, it frees us from that sort of mentality and allows us to broaden our horizons, you know, uh, expand our imaginations for creating art and creating experiences uh, around art with our community that hopefully um, is, is a valuable thing for them. So you're just making all sorts of good things grow when you go to misfitstars.com slash support. And we're grateful for you for yeah. doing that. Thank you. Thank you, people. Mm -hmm. So uh, do we have any announcements, Shannon? Announcements, announcements, announcements. That it was, was kind of traditional. I went just like basic old school. But you know what? It was almost canonical. Oh yeah, it was, it was canonical. It was classic. Yeah, we're going back to back to basics here. Announcements. We actually we actually have a couple of announcements. Well, that's good. Okay. Uh, actually, they're both my announcements. Can I just tell them? Go. Okay. Number one. Uh, so we have within our Misfit Stars uh, social network. Uh, there's a group within a group in there. Uh, we are an anti-racist book and movie club. People in the Misfit Stars social network who raised their hands a few months back when I said, would anyone else like to be in a club with me to mm -hmm. do, to watch movies and read books on the topic of anti-racism and do that work? And a bunch and of do people, it together and yeah, learn. Yeah, a bunch of people said, yes, I would like to do that. And so we, we did our first movie discussion last month. We did our first book discussion on Sunday this past weekend. Um, and it was so great. It was we, awesome. we read the book, uh, You Are Your Best Thing, which is an anthology of essays that was uh, uh, put together and edited by Tarana Burke, who was the, who's really well known as sort of the founder of the Me Too movement, mm -hmm. uh, in cooperation with Brene Brown, who is a uh, researcher on shame and vulnerability. And the two of them are friends and co collaborators and co creators. And the, the anthology they put together was just amazing. And our discussion on Sunday was also amazing. And it was so deep that we only got through like the first maybe... Like half the book. Yeah, rough, maybe a little bit less than half even. Like it was such a great conversation. Um, and at the end of that conversation, there was more, there was more to talk about. Um, also, some of the folks in the book club hadn't had a chance to actually finish the entire book, yeah. which is totally fine. I get that. But but we decided as a group that we would continue the, the discussion this Sunday. So we're having a part two discussion of uh, You Are Your Best Thing um, on Sunday. This is going to be on Sunday. What is the date on Sunday? Can you I can out? tell you it is Sunday the 7th. No, the 18th. Sunday, July 18th. At 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. East Coast. Yes. So here's the thing. If you are in already in the book and movie club, the anti-racist book and movie club, and you missed Sunday, Sunday's discussion, feel free to join us for oh, part yeah. two. Um, if you're not in the book and movie club yet and you would like to be, you still have a few days to get and read that book if you want to, like, you know, plow your way through it. You could get it on Audible and just listen to the second half because we're going to be discussing the second half. Yeah, that's true. I would also recommend reading the introduction at least too to kind of get yourself yeah. set up into it. That's smart it. for any collection really. Yeah, so, you know, but we're going to continue discussion. So we're going to use the same Zoom link that we did for this past weekend's uh, discussion. I also will be posting uh, this sort of part two discussion as a post in the Anti-Racist Book and Movie Club in our social network. So you can find it there again as well. Uh, so 
look forward to seeing you for part two of mm. uh, discussing You mm. Are Your Best Thing. It was a really, really cool discussion. Yeah. Deep, heartfelt. Mm-hmm. It's so cool when we get to hang out with our Misfit Stars people because, you know, especially especially over something that's more vulnerable and deeper, like this anti-racist book and movie club is, because mm-hmm. we get to know them in such a deeper, better way. Oh my gosh, totally. I love it so much. They're such neat people. Oh my gosh, And yeah. just getting to know the depth of each of them in that way has mm-hmm. just been this huge gift. Totally. Well, I think that... When you commit to learning something in a community or with other people, like there's, you form bonds yeah. with each other. And I, I'm really grateful for that. It's been really neat. Um, so I have a second announcement. Okay, what is it? Okay, the second announcement is that we, you, we're not doing a tour this year, obviously. We've, we've previously talked about that because there's still the uncertainty surrounding the pandemic mm-hmm. and vaccination rates and the safety of gathering and all that kind of stuff. It's spotty around the country. For example, right? we have a big base in Missouri. We spend a lot of time in Missouri. Bad idea right now. Bad idea to gather with people in Missouri right yeah. now um, just because there's there's a pretty low vaccination rate and a pretty high virus spread rate right now. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, so, so for those reasons, you know, we're not doing our normal, you know, summer tour thing again for the second year in a row. But we are doing exactly one show this summer. One only. Only one. <laughs> <laughs> Great investment of time. Yeah, and I'm really excited about it. It's uh, going to be really cool. It's on August 21st in Astoria, Oregon. We are going to be... Like the Goonies. Like the Goonies, exactly. Yeah. We're going to be part of the inaugural Shipwrecked Music Festival in Astoria, uh, which is a brand new music festival uh, sponsored by a radio station, 94.9 The Bridge. Yes, which we listened to like for three hours yesterday and it was great. Because we were driving through. We'll tell you about our trip in a moment. But we're going to be doing this music festival on August 21st. Um, I'm I'm super excited about doing this festival. Um, it's It's a beautiful part of the country. There is no music festival on the Oregon coast. And this radio station decided we should start a music festival on the Oregon coast. Yeah. And and this radio station's got a really great sense for good music. Like we listened to it, like, like you said, for a few hours yesterday. It's good. And um, it's clear that the people who work at the station are music lovers. Yes, that's right. They are lovers of music. It's not, you know how you can listen to some radio stations and you're like, this feels like corporate radio. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't feel like that at all. No. It felt like a lovingly assembled group of songs. You and know? it's locally programmed, which is vanishingly rare these days yeah. in American terrestrial totally. radio. Like, yeah. And that, what that means, people, is that it's programmed by a music director who works at that radio station. Yeah. Who, by the way, has been playing some of my songs. No big deal. <laughs> which is awesome. So they've invited us to be part of this festival, the inaugural uh, uh, Shipwrecked Music Festival. And we're going to be using this uh, festival, since it's our only show this summer, to try some new things with uh, performance that we've not really done before. Um, spoiler alert, I'm not going to be behind the piano the whole time. What? What? So it, I'm excited about the, the new opportunity. I'm, I'm actually feeling a little nervous about it, to be perfectly honest, because it's bet. new and different, yeah. but I'm excited too. Yeah. So it's both at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyway, if you are in the area or plan to be in the area, August 21st, uh, Jamie and I are going to be in Astoria, Oregon at the Clatsop County Fairgrounds performing uh, at the the Shipwrecked Music Festival. And you should join us. It would be so great. We would would love to see you. So great to have some like local support. Yeah. 
there. Um, it's outdoors. So like you can do social distance, you know, hang out and watch live music. Um, are you going to link in the show notes to where people can buy tickets? Mm-hmm. Excellent. Um, so that's my whole that's my whole announcement. That's so exciting. The one show we're doing this summer. One show. August 21st. And if you're in the area or going to be in the area, we would love to see you there. Please come on down. And again, I will put a ticket link in the show notes and you can just click on it and you can check it out. You can also just Google Shipwrecked Music Festival Astoria, Oregon. Yeah. I Googled this. So I Googled Shipwrecked Music Festival. The first thing that comes up uh-huh. is something that's been going on for a number of years in the Tampa Bay area in Florida. And it's a, a pirate theme festival. Oh. Which is also pretty great sounding to that me. That is pretty great. But yeah. that's not the one we're going to be no. at. No. I mean, you can go to that. Yeah. But don't expect to see us. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, end of announcements. Right on. Hooray. Uh, Jamie, how are you feeling today? You know, that's a great question. Pretty good. Not 100%. Uh, okay. I'm at like 88. Okay. Pretty good. B plus. Like a B plus. Yeah. Uh, we got home last night from sort of a, a slightly extended trip, like some personal time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and re-entry is always a little bit hard, uh, especially like mm. re- what re-entry meant to me personally is is reacquainting myself with all the commitment, all the things I need to do that aren't done yet. Yeah. You know, (laughs) and that feels a little bit overwhelming and annoying right Mm now. Also, it's objectively speaking, not overwhelming. I can do it Mm -hmm. and I indeed will do it. Mm -hmm. It's just, I don't know, it's it's jarring. Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting with that, but I'm okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, generally pretty good. Uh, Pretty, like, relaxed, I think. Mm -hmm. We've adjusted our sleep schedule earlier that's mm-hmm. so so we're those weird people. Like when we go on vacation, we actually get up earlier. <laughs> <laughs> but but on purpose, and it's great, and I really love it. So I'm feeling kind of reinvigorated from that. Great. I'm excited to dive in, into some music work that I have had pending for the last couple of mm-hmm. weeks and get that all banged out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel rested for that and excited. So generally pretty good, B plus, cool. but probably. By the time this episode airs, maybe even A minus. Ooh. I could see Wednesday being the A minus kind of day. Okay. I'm not sure. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> cool. How about you? How are you feeling? I'm really good. I'm really good. You know, um, the the personal time was really good for me. Uh, I feel like my reentry, reentry t- transition from doing one activity to doing another, like that, that's always c- potentially challenging for me too. Mm-hmm. Um but I feel like coming into this re-entry from the, um, from the personal time back into sort of like life, uh, I actually feel, I, I feel reinvigorated. I, I feel um, even eager to get back into doing stuff that, that's on my list that I need to do. Good. Um, I really feel like prior to the personal time, I was... I was really battling on a daily basis just to get through like, and, and kind of like starting to feel resentful of mm. tasks that I needed to do sure. that really didn't deserve to be resented. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, just really, really just struggling on a daily, on a daily basis. But yeah. I feel like this, the, the time away was good. And I'm feeling today, you know, I, I, we, we had coffee, you know, in the first part of the day today and like, you know, 15 minutes later, I'm like, I have that sweet coffee feeling. <laughs> and honestly, like, I still feel that way. Like, <laughs> that was hours ago, but I still feel like just pepped up, revved up, That's kind of great. just happy, good, good spirits. So I'm doing good. 
I am so pleased to hear that. Yeah. That's wonderful. You are my future, I hope. I hope okay. where you're at today is maybe where I'll be tomorrow. I hope so too. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, shall we fire up the good news machine? Let's do. Do you have good news? I do. What's your good news? I'm pretty stoked on uh, a bunch of Democratic legislators from the state of Texas. So oh, yeah. 51 Democratic legislators have left the state of Texas. I'm talking about they got on freaking planes and left the state. I had heard it was up to like 56 of them even. Could be. Yeah. Could be. It was the vast majority of the, the minimum they needed to get rid of uh, to accomplish this thing that I'm about to describe was uh, was 51. And oh. it, uh, you're right. It could have been, I think it maybe in the end was more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the deal is that like the, the Republicans in Texas are trying to do some horribly anti democratic shit. That's technical terminology, but what it basically <laughs> means, they, they just want to ram through a bunch of really, really bad. Uh, they call them voting reforms, but they're not voting reforms. They're kind of the opposite. They're voting they're, restrictions. They're voter suppression measures. Yes. And it's they're really, really bad. And this is... Like they want to make it harder to vote and specifically targeted, making it harder to vote, targeted at... Democrats. People, uh, yeah. People Likely who, Democratic voters. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the way that sugars off is, you know, poorer people or uh, ethnic minorities or, you know, anyone whose skin is black or brown, mm-hmm. you know, that's, or people like Shannon and me, you know. People who live in urban centers. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's really, really bad. And it's really good to try to stop this. Also, like, this is w- wildly unpopular. Like, even in the state of Texas, these measures are not majority popular. Wow. Uh, but you have this situation in Texas that you have in so many other places in the country right now. This really scary situation where you have a majority party that's attempting to do... Uh, I'm sorry, you have a minority party that's attempting to exert rule over the majority. Right. Right, because the major- the, 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 the Republicans in Texas don't have majority support by the numbers. No. Or, they have historically, but like this measure, like you were just saying, does not enjoy majority support. Yeah. These voting restrictions are not supported by a majority of Texans. Because like even Republicans, even a bunch of Republicans are like, no, this is anti-democratic. <laughs> right. You know? Right. And so in order to entrench their power in a situation where they don't have majority support, they're trying to change the laws so that they can just get their way yeah. and stay in power and uh, increase their power and entrench their power. By disenfranchising voters. a large number of voters who would not vote in support of what they're doing. Exactly. And it's very That's bad. That's what you call authoritarianism. Yes, it's very <laughs> bad, very scary stuff. It's happening all over the country. And this is about to be a pretty egregious example of it. So uh, uh, this, this, the, this package of voter support Suppression measures came up was what was going to come up for a vote in Texas two months ago, mm-hmm. and uh, the Democrats, a bunch of Democrats in the legislature, walked out, mm-hmm. walked out before the vote to deny a quorum. A quorum is the minimum number of people you have to have present to even take a vote. Right, and they were able to do that just by walking out a couple months ago. Well, due to the parliamentary mechanics of how this new special session of the legislature is happening, Mm -hmm. they can't just walk out for the vote. They have to be gone for a month. For the entire session. And the the governor called this special session in direct response to their walkout in May. Yeah. He said, okay, so you're walking out May? Fine, I'm calling a special session and we're going to pass these voter restriction laws during the special session in July. And it, so it 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 was directly 
in the result of the Democratic legislators trying to block this, yeah. that the governor tried to usurp their their actions. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's just trying to he's trying to ram this through. Mm-hmm. And so they, God bless them, have left <laughs> the state where they live for an entire month to deny the legislature a quorum so they can't pass a bunch of terrible stuff into law. Right. And how gutsy. And they're taking the opportunity of this trip, <laughs> because now they're all on a trip, right? You leave the state for a month, you're on a trip. So a bunch mm-hmm. of them, for their trip, chartered a couple of planes and flew to Washington, D.C. to lobby Democratic members of Congress to get their shit together mm-hmm. and pass voting rights legislation. We need the For the People Act passed this month. We need the John Lewis Voting Rights Act passed this year. Yeah. And these Democratic legislators from Texas have taken themselves to D.C. and set themselves down in meetings with people who have... There, there are a lot of Democratic leaders in D.C. who are taking this seriously, and there are some who have been dragging their freaking feet, mm-hmm. like not recognizing the five-alarm fire that, are, that our democracy is experiencing right now. Yeah. Texas legislators are going to D.C. and saying, look, we are on fire back here in Texas. Look at all these things that they're trying to ram through this to, to, to entrench minority rule in Texas. Yeah. We have had to flee the state to make this not happen. And you, Congress, have the power to make it so that they can't do that by passing the For the People Act, by passing the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. The Democrats have control of the House, they have control of the Senate, and they have the presidency. They can pass the laws to protect our democracy. They just have to to like, like ovary up and do it. They do. Ovary up. I like that. Yeah. But you're right. It is great news that the Texas Dem- Democrats traveled to do that. That is good news. I hope that their efforts matter and, and make a difference. Yeah, seriously. I'm just waiting, waiting with bated breath for Kirsten Cinema's next garbage op ed, like in the Wall Street Journal, like tomorrow. Like, I am unmoved by the visit. Yeah. Yeah, well, this is the time for the pressure, though, and and that that they made such a bold move. These Texas legislators is it's encouraging. It's really encouraging. It's gutsy. So, yeah, like if they go back into the state before a month is up, they can literally be arrested by the Texas Rangers, uh, dragged back into the legislature, and, and like be yeah. forced to vote. It's wild. Yeah, <laughs> it is just wild. Yeah. So uh, what so do you have in your good that, news? That machine? was good news. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. It is yeah, good no, news. Good. It Overall, good. it is good. I yeah. do have a couple things. Okay. Um, so the first thing is that uh, the Department of Education mm-hmm. uh, canceled a whole bunch of student loan debt, $55.6 million in student loan debt mm-hmm. for borrowers, for students who had been defrauded by for-profit schools. Oh, that's great. So, like you know, DeVry and ITT and all these shady advertise on yeah. television in the 90s, quote unquote universities. Yes, there were, there's, yeah. there's been a whole bunch of these quote unquote universities who roped students into, you know, uh, taking classes and racking up uh, student debt, um, but then not following through on the promises they made to those students in terms of the kind of credentialing they would be receiving, the kind of uh, of job placement that they were going to be doing, like it was these the, a lot of these for profit universities uh, 
<laughs> universities, for-profit institutions, for-profit for quote-unquote education institutions uh, were, were fraudulent. And so uh, the, 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 the students who signed up to go to these schools and took out loans to pay for these classes ended up being saddled with a huge amount of debt and nothing to show for it. Um, and so it's great news that the Department of Education has canceled that debt for those students because that's just crippling. It's crippling to be to be owing a whole bunch of money for something that you didn't even benefit from because yeah. you were defrauded. So anyway, great news. Great The news. second just like super feel-good news <laughs> that I have in the good news machine is, uh, remember um, back in 2017 when there were uh, those riots, uh, the the Unite the Right rally that turned into a riot in Charlottesville, Virginia? Where Heather Heyer was murdered. Where Heather Heyer was killed by one of those, uh, those extreme right-wing protesters. They were protesting the city's removal of the Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson statues in the center of town. Mm -hmm. um, these are Confederate memorials honoring, you know, people who fought for the Confederacy. Again, it, it, these are people who fought for uh, a form of government that was dedicated to enslaving human beings and in, they, in America. And they fought against America. And they fought against America. They were traitors to America. Yeah. And uh, so there, there had been these statues in Charlottesville, Virginia of Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson, and the city was going to remove them. And in 2017, these neo-Nazis... <laughs> more like, more like neo-fascists. Sure, but like you know, they showed up and started chanting Nazi slogans yes. as they were yes. you know marching with torches around town, and then they ended up, ended up killing Heather Heyer uh, uh, in that in those in the riots, the ensuing riots that they uh, did <laughs> afterward or in the middle of it. Um, finally, yesterday, those two statues were removed. So, hell yeah, middle finger, f you. <laughs> Like, they're gone. And what a great thing. I mean, this is, it just feels like, it's just, it's it's a symbolic victory. It's 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 a real victory too. Mm -hmm. I mean, like for people who live in Charlottesville uh, and, you know, there, there's, there's a big student population there. There's a big black population there. But there are pe lots of people there who believe in justice. Yeah. And for those people, they don't have to drive through the center of their town yeah. and see these huge monuments honoring uh, slavery. slavery and, 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 uh, traitorism to the United States. Yeah. So there you go. Great. Yay. Good That's news. That's really good. Such good news. Awesome. Yeah. So what adventures did we get into over this last, well, at this point, couple of weeks. I know. Usually it's this last week, but uh, we've been on break. You heard the bumpers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we have been on break. Yeah. You know, the first thing that we did is uh, we took off. Uh, you may have heard there was this major heat wave happening in the Pacific Northwest. And we experienced the very first part of it, and then we skipped town. <laughs> we fled. We were going to go visit Shannon's mom anyway, but we bumped that up a couple of days because we were about to be in like 112 degree weather in a place with no air conditioning. Yeah. And that's dangerous. Somewhere between very, very uncomfortable and dangerous. Yeah. Like, you know, we we're, we're, we're young and healthy. We would have been okay, but it would have been horrible. Are we young? Sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Compared to somebody much older? Yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, yeah relatively speaking. Yeah. No, you're right, but we, we fled, and it is a deep irony that we fled 
Tacoma, Washington, the Puget Sound area, it's, we fled the Puget Sound area for Central California, mm. the Central Valley of California to escape heat. That's but upside down. That's the reality that we're living in in this era of unmitigated climate change. Mm. Um, but we did, we, we left and we, we were planning this visit anyway, but we got to see my mom for the first yeah. time in 18 months. She was so stoked. We were stoked. I was Everyone stoked. was stoked. Yeah. It was wonderful to get to hug her. You know, it's interesting I, because I've been calling my mom. I, I, you know, for those of you who are are new here, um, I made a commitment to call my mom every day um, once the shutdowns began in in March of 2020 mm-hmm. because she lives alone and I didn't want her to feel isolation, you know, over overload from the isolation. So I, I committed to calling her daily to help her through that time. And so we actually have spoken on the phone every single day for the last 15 months yeah. uh, up until our visit, you know, last week. And um, and so seeing her in person, like it was great to be able to hug her, mm-hmm. but actually I didn't feel like there was a big, there had been a big distance between us because we'd been in touch so much yeah. over the, the time before that. So that was really kind of a, a lovely feeling, um, but mm-hmm. it was great to spend time with her. And um, and we also got to see other loved ones in the area. We didn't, we, we saw some loved ones in the area. The list is long of people that we, we could stay for two months, you know, to visit every single person that we'd want to see. Yeah. Um, but we we got a down payment on that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to go back for more. Yep. Uh, but it was really nice to be able to reconnect with people after such a time of of not being able to see people. Yes, absolutely. Gosh. That's something that this, uh, the pandemic time really reinforced for me is this idea that I need to be way more intentional about seeing friends a lot more often, you know? Yeah. Like, it's just not guaranteed that we're going to get to see anybody again. And if there's somebody mm-hmm. who, like, lights up your life, whose presence brings you joy, yeah, then you should probably just spend time with them and yeah. figure out how to make time to make that happen. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's really easy, especially, you know, for you and me, we can be really insular. We just kind of do our thing. We work a lot, you know, um, and it's easy just to get sort of swept up in our just very busy day-to-day work life mm-hmm. and not make time for friends. Mm-hmm. It's something I've been super guilty of and I have made a commitment to myself to end that. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. This uh, last week, the friends we saw, we were able to see, uh, that was wonderful. Yeah. Uh, already planning to go see a, a whole different set of friends, you know, <laughs> next time we're down. And obviously totally. some of the same ones too. Uh, but it's it's great. It was wonderful. It was really great. And our, our whole conceit for this trip was, you know, when we, when we knew we were going to go sometime in June to see my mom, um, we thought, okay, well, we'll drive down, we'll do the visiting, and then... Just for funsies, mm-hmm. let's take a coastal route home. Yeah. And so we did that. We we ended up uh, taking, I guess it was four full days mm-hmm. to drive up the California, Oregon, and Washington coasts yeah. to get back home. And it was so fun. That was great. It we, was so fun. We took the one... Uh, through California, uh, as far as you can take it until it's until it just sort of becomes the 101. Yeah, and then we took the 101. Yeah, and it was just really great. It was it was wonderfully chilly. Yeah, <laughs> because you're on the coast the whole time. Like there was one little section in California where the 101, like it's just like the coast is super craggy and the mm-hmm. 101 can't hug it, and so it ducks over a mountain pass into a valley, and it's there for like you know, half an hour and then it ducks back over another little mountain pass and you're back on the coast, thank God. Yeah. That moment that we were uh, in that little 
internal like inland valley uh-huh. was 40 degrees higher than Four, our time on the coast. Four zero. Yeah. 40 degrees yeah. higher. It was 59 <laughs> on the coast and it was uh, 99 yeah. in that valley. It was ridiculous. And the 99 is honestly more normal, but I don't like it better. No. I like it way less. <laughs> I don't like it at all. <laughs> Something I really realized on this trip is that my ideal vacation situation uh-huh. is 59 degrees uh, foggy and a stiff wind. <laughs> That's what I like. I could really do without the stiff wind, but the other stuff I'm okay with. I like can it's, compromise it's on beachy. the wind. Okay, maybe, great. Just, maybe it's like, it's gotta be a breeze at least. Okay, sure. A breeze, yeah. a sea, a light sea breeze. Sure. That's fine. Okay. Yeah. I'm also totally down with the wind. Like the wind was like assaultive and I was like, this is bracing and refreshing. <laughs> I felt so refreshed all the time. Okay. But so the bracing and refreshing wind also means that sometimes you lose your personal belongings when you're going for a hike, which happened yes. on this trip. We have to tell you the story. So we were, we stopped. Um, okay. Where was it? It was in Depot Bay. Is that right? Maybe. Maybe. Hmm. I, yeah. I don't know exactly. In Oregon? It was in Oregon. Yeah. Somewhere we stopped and we tried to do like whatever, whenever there would be a sign for like a scenic overlook or a, you know, whatever, sort of like advertising some cool thing they'll stop and look at. We or tried to we, do those. Or if we just saw something off the side of yeah. the road, it's like, oh, we should go check that out. Yeah. So this was one of those that we stopped off and it was, it was like Battle Rock yeah. or something. So it's let's just a go. Big freaking rock. Let's go check out Battle Rock. Yeah. And so. We parked and it's just this really cool like rock. Like it, it kind of just juts out from the beach and there's this sort of like isthmus sort of that you can walk on. You can climb up this rock and cr- sort of like walk across this isthmus to a larger part of the rock yeah. that's covered in trees and bushes and it's really neat. But you're just kind of out on this. There's park. a random grave up there. There is a gravestone. That's right. You know, there's grave three marker. people buried under yes. there, like a little family. Right. Honoring people who defended Battle Rock at some point yeah. in history. Like in like, the 1800s. Yeah. And they're like buried like a hundred feet up on this austere gorgeous rock thing yeah. sticking out in the ocean yeah, in a it, bay. Yeah, super yeah. cool. So we we climbed up the rock and we went out on the isthmus and it was really windy. So I, and my hair was not pulled back and so I borrowed your hat. Yeah, your, your hair is like too short really to pull back in wind. It's too, yeah. It's, so I borrowed your, your baseball cap uh, to, to make the climb so it wasn't, I wasn't like dealing with fa- like hair in my face. Yeah. So we climbed out there, we climbed to the rock, went across the isthmus, explored the big, the big battle rocks saw the grave, walked through these bushes. It was very like adventure Yeah. It was super fun. Very Goonies. Yeah. So Goonies. And then, um, you know, had our fun. We were walking back and as we were about to cross the isthmus back down to climb down the rock face onto the beach, I, we kind of like came out into this opening and this huge gust of wind came and just whipped your hat right off my head. Yes. Like, and it was gone like that. It carried it right down to the ocean. Yeah, just like boom, and now the hat is in the ocean. Yeah. And I'm like, oh no, your hat! And I felt so bad. Like, I mean, it was just gone. Yeah. Just gone. Just floating down there far out we, in the ocean. We, didn't even, we couldn't even see it from there. Like yeah. at that point, it was just like whatever. So I felt so bad. We climbed down. And we went to the beach. We're like, let's just go over to the side of the this, you know, battle rock and see if we can see it, you know, just by chance. Mm-hmm. And we so we walk down on the beach, we get up there and, and we see the hat floating way out there. Way like, out there. 
Just like 150 feet out there, way out there. Bobbing yeah. in the water. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this, the hat is gone. Yeah. It, and it felt so bad. It's a hat you made yes. that you designed yourself. Yeah. And it says Department of Energy Management Tacoma. It's such a cute hat. Yeah. And I mean, I know we could have ordered another one, and it, but I just, I felt sentimental about it. And yeah. I didn't want to lose your, be the responsible for losing your hat. Yeah. So we stood there for a while feeling sad. And then you're like, maybe I can get it. And so you took your shoes off. Yeah. And because I was noticing that like the waves, like the tide was coming in, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. The tide was getting higher. And so the general thrust of the water was in as opposed to out. Yeah. And waves kept pushing it a little bit closer. And it was like a little bit closer, a little further back, but a little closer, yeah. but then a little further back. Yeah. But the overall motion seemed to be bringing the hat closer to shore, closer to us. Yeah. And then, so it did, it did that for a while. I was getting closer. I'm like, oh my yeah. gosh, maybe. And then it went back out. And then it got stuck in this little like sort of eddy next to the, the rock. I'm like, oh man, I yeah. don't think it's coming. Yeah. And then there was a series of like three waves that brought it pretty darn close. And at this point you had your shoes off. So, shoes and socks have been off the whole time. The water's freezing cold. Yeah, I couldn't like just really go out and get it because the water's the kind of cold that makes you feel like your bones are going to break from the inside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you had your you had your jeans rolled up as far as they could go and like it got to this point after those series of three waves where it was like oh my gosh and like with the wave that receded you it was the shallow water level was lower temporarily enough yeah. for a moment and you just went for it I darted out darted out you got the bottom of your jeans wet you snatched that hat it felt like the most victorious moment like seriously there should have been a band playing and fireworks like it was like yes yeah. you got the hat I know. It was the resolution of a minutes-long drama. It was very good. Uh, no, it really was. Like my, All of my emotions were wrapped up in that moment. It felt so great. Yeah, I was fully invested also. Well, yeah, it was Because, wonderful. you know, I didn't necessarily think it was going to be possible. I yeah. got the shoes and socks off and rolled the pants just to make sure I was at least doing my due diligence, you yeah. know? But yeah. I kind of figured it would just get sort of taken out yeah. around a corner and that would be the last we'd see of that. Lost but, you know, sea. I just wanted to leave the possibility open that perhaps, uh-huh. you know, yeah. a freak wave situation could happen. And then that thing actually happened. It was so great. It really felt like low odds coming through. It was, you know, every once in a while you need one of those moments yeah. where the low odds come through. Mm-hmm. We had, it was great. Yeah, it was life affirming. Yeah, the other thing that, the other like standout from our trip up the coast... Because that, that really was the standout. That was the standout. That was the <laughs> also, standout. Also, we saw a bunch of stuff in coastal California. It was great. It was, it was fine. Yeah. The hat thing was great, though. <laughs> yeah. The other standout for me was when you drive along uh, and through like beach cities or mm-hmm. coastal cities, um, you cannot, you, you can't not see businesses in every city that are advertising saltwater taffy, mm-hmm. fudge, and ice cream. Yep. They're in every single city. And like you don't also these aren't cities. They're, they're little they're villages. Little towns. Little hamlets. Something between hamlet and town. Yes. But like in your everyday life, driving around your own city, wherever you are, you don't see businesses advertising saltwater taffy, fudge, and ice cream. No. Yeah, ice cream. That's pretty pervasive. But yeah. specifically saltwater taffy and fudge. Yeah. I have I'm I'm now convinced that the only places in the world where you can get saltwater taffy and fudge are in seaside villages. Yes, I think that's right. Yeah. I think this is a provable fact. Yeah. Shannon and I pioneered a saltwater taffy uh, <laughs> technique uh, that we call the taffy flight. 
Chaffee flight. Oh yeah. Yeah, this uh-huh. is great. So the way the way we did it is this. So we got our we got our little bag. We got our little sanitized scoop because that's now a thing. Yeah. Because COVID. Uh, my sanitized scoop was handed to me by a very circumspect nine year old. <laughs> there was a, a nine year old girl with glasses who was just sussing me out and not quite sure. Uh-huh. But she was willing to give me the scoop and we'd see how it went. Yeah. So <laughs> had my scoop, had the bag, and we just went around and we basically... Picked our flavors. Picked flavors, but we didn't individually pick flavors. We Anyone who was interested in one flavor, we got two of them. Yeah. Because... We had to have a situation where we didn't have to subsequently try to be like, is this the one I got? No, I think this is the one you got. Right. We just for, any, for whatever there is, we each get one. Yeah. And so we got like, I don't know, six flavors maybe, yeah. uh-huh. something like that, maybe seven. And so then we drove away. And as we're driving away, uh, I would reach in as though it was like, like a grab bag, a, like a, a raffle, like I, was, uh-huh. like I was pulling a ticket. Blind draw. Mm-hmm. And I would pull out a taffy. Yeah. Shannon would then find the matching taffy. Yeah. And then we would pop them in our mouths. And if we liked it, we'd finish it. But if we didn't like it, we would, in a synchronized fashion, roll down our windows and <laughs> spit the taffy out the window so as oh, not to finish it. I feel like maybe we shouldn't have admitted to that like environmental catastrophe. No, it's okay. It's totally okay because <laughs> taffy is just made of sugar. It will completely break oh, down you're in right. the rain. It will. In yeah. fact, Jamie was like, "What is taffy made of?" And so he asked his uh, his phone, his Siri. He's like, "Hey Siri, what? Hey Siri, do you want me to do it right now? Oh, do it right now. Yeah, yeah. Hey Siri, what's taffy made of?" Taffy is made up of sugar. There you go. <laughs> There's one ingredient. <laughs> so good. But, but here, this is a great way because like the experience of saltwater taffy, like you kind of, you know, you, you want the flavor. You want to experience the flavor because there's like funky flavors. Like we had like cherry cola, yeah. right? And then we had like jalapeno and lime. Yes. And like, I wanted to, I want to see, well, what does this taste like? Yeah. like what it, but I don't really want to eat the whole thing no. and ingest all that sugar. No. So it's kind of like, you know, when people go wine tasting and they, you know, they don't want to get like totally drunk from tasting all these wines. Right. You sip a little, you swish it around in your mouth and then you spit it out, right? Yeah. It's the same thing, but with saltwater taffy. Yes. And I think it's a brilliant idea. Yep. Taffy we, flight. We, taffy flight. We invented it. But here's the question. I might, so since you can, since you can find saltwater taffy and fudge in every seaside village, mm-hmm. the question becomes, uh, do the saltwater and taffy attract the tourists or do the tourists attract the saltwater taffy and fudge man which comes that's a real chicken egg question i'd love to hear what our listeners think about this it's deep yeah and by the way if anyone's curious jalapeno lime tastes like pine salt (laughs) it did it got spit right out yep (laughs) (laughs) oh man yeah so uh adventures yeah so here's another thing about our travel adventures so this is the first time we've traveled at all yeah so California is somewhat ahead of Washington, or they were. So Washington, like in the time we were gone, went to fully open, but they weren't when we left. Right. But California was. Right. And they had were been few, for a few weeks. They were a few weeks. weeks ahead. Yeah. So we went from a place where you know the norm is still to wear masks everywhere. Some in, people were, some people weren't. It had indoors. been relaxed, you know. Like if you go to Costco, there'd be people without masks. You know, but it's a bigger container. It kind of feels fine. In more intimate environments, generally people were masking. It felt kind of sensible and good. And then we went to a place, uh, specifically uh, Sacramento County, California, Mm -hmm. where pretty much literally nobody was wearing a mask. Like maybe one in every 50 people was wearing a mask. It was super jarring. Yeah, and everything was fully at capacity. So you would just go into a store and it would be 
totally, or a restaurant or whatever, a Starbucks, and it would just be as full of people as in the before times and yeah. no one wearing a mask. But like, we're was totally really not ready for that. Done with this pandemic yet. You know what I mean? And like, I get that California's doing well. And like, I get that for this snapshot in time that they were in when they made that decision, that was a sensible ish mm-hmm. decision to make. And it's important to do. We need to be able for businesses to operate at a fuller capacity and maximize the money they make because Lord knows they've had a terrible year. Yeah, for I get, sure. I get all of that. But, you know, sort of in real time, as we're experiencing this new weird way of living, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're starting to hear, you know, just in the news again, in real time, all this new Delta variant news and Delta Plus and... Well, even when we arrived in California, the day we arrived, L.A. County issued guidance that people start wearing masks inside again. Yeah. It wasn't like a... A mandate, but they were issuing guidance that that would be a good idea again in yeah. Southern California. We weren't in Southern California; we were in Northern California. But still, like that—that that was a piece of news. That was a piece of data. Um, we we heard from a friend uh, on social media whose whole family was vaccinated and decided to go on a little family trip, and they all got COVID. They all got freaking COVID. I they mean, were all vaccinated. I mean, obviously, it was they they had milder cases than they probably would have had yep. not being vaccinated. For sure. And you know, uh, but but even like. The our friend John, the 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 dad of the family, you know, like mm-hmm. he had the worst of it, and it didn't sound fun. Like no. it didn't sound fun and at you all. Know, I don't really even care about the in the moment symptoms. You know, like if you get real sick for a few days or a week or whatever, okay, that blows. But it, whatever, it's fine. The long in the long mm. term scheme of things, I, I don't care. I can be sick. Like we can we can be sick. It's right, fine. Right. What I worry about is all the stuff we don't know about how it affects our brains going forward. There's all this new bodies. research yeah. starting to come out about like permanent brain reconfigurations from even mild, sometimes asymptomatic Mm. cases of COVID. Like long-term things that can result in question mark toward the end of your life. It's really scary. Yeah, I don't want to get this. No. I still don't want to get it. Even though I... You understand that my immediate symptoms would probably be less than they would be mm-hmm. otherwise, but yeah. So, yeah, it was a jarring experience the whole not masking thing, and I and I think that I personally have sort of understood that for me still at this point, especially since the Delta variant is spreading like wildfire through unvaccinated communities. Yep. Um, and to a lesser extent in some vaccinated communities too. Because of that. Like yeah. Sacramento County specifically right now is in a much right. less good uh, COVID situation than it was in two weeks ago. Wow. Yeah. So for that reason, I think, you know, where I feel comfortable right now is masking indoors yep. and I'm going to, you know, try to avoid, you know, situations where I have to be unmasked indoors. Yeah. That just feels, that feels the most appropriate to me. Masking indoors, eating outdoors. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, weird times. It's, 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 it certainly feels less, um, last summer at this time felt really quite scary. Yeah. Terrifying. This, this definitely feels, you know, this year a lot better um, but it, but also I feel like we still kind of have to be on our toes in terms of like keeping up with, with how things are going. I guess the way that to make I, wise decisions for ourselves. You I know? guess the way that I would frame it is that it doesn't feel as better right now as you might think it is from observing how people are acting. Mm, yeah. I think people are acting like it's better than it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe so. Anyway, on that note, uh, shall we take a little break and then get back to our ongoing conversation? 
Heck yeah. I feel like we're going to just be talking forever today because we've got so much to catch up on and talk about, mm-hmm. but uh, it's going to be good. I promise. Good stuff. Good coming, stuff. Coming your way. After the break. We'll see you soon. So we were gone so long. Uh, we had two weeks where we didn't do a podcast episode, and we sort of like had intended on continuing the conversation from the last podcast episode. Mm-hmm. We actually listened to our pod. We listened to our own podcast today. Yeah, from before the pick- last real one from two yeah. three weeks ago, so that we could like pick up, you know, as we sort of made notes for what we wanted to talk about today. Get back in the swing of things. And I'm so glad we did that because, like, I remember there being some things, you know, a few weeks ago. When we last talked, that I'm like, oh yeah, um, and I and I read some things re- like right after we recorded that really like fed into that. Yeah. So I'm glad that we re- revisited because it helped me get back in touch. So the larger frame people, uh, because surely, like we were like a couple of hours ago, you are at this point just like, what were they talking about? What, what was the conversation? The larger frame for the conversation is using the pandemic as an opportunity to really like evaluate what was working before that you want to bring forward and what wasn't working before that you want to get rid of or change. Yeah. And we've just been kind of exploring that from different angles over the last, you know, at this, at this point, three episodes, uh, and this, this being the fourth. And so the discussion, uh, the discussion today is going to be about internalized oppression. Yeah, Do you want to set you know, this up? It was, it's, well, that's one thing about this discussion. I don't know if it's the thing. Because here's the thing. When we listened back to the last podcast, uh, our conversation sort of rabbit trailed into this idea of uh, whose dreams are you dreaming, you mm-hmm. know, in, in the world? Are you dreaming, are you dreaming the, the dreams that... Uh, that innately come from who you are and who you want and or what you want as a person, like like the life that you really want, mm-hmm. you know, or are the dreams that you're dreaming, uh, are the dreams that we are dreaming, <laughs> the ones that are being sort of fed to us and sold to us by a system that that really needs for us to kind of um, align our goals and dreams with the 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 goals of the status quo yeah. <laughs> to maintain the system as is. Right. Even if that system isn't working for us, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so we've been sort of teasing apart that idea. And so when we listened back, we, we had asked that question, whose dreams are we dreaming? And I think that when we answer that question, so many of us end up reporting dreams that echo sort of society's dream. Yeah. You know, that, that the idea of like, oh, I want to be rich or I want to have some sort of, you know, financial status or, you know, yeah. th- those are oftentimes the, the, the goals yeah. or the dreams. I want to marry have. an attractive person of the opposite <laughs> sex and have 2.4 children. Right. <laughs> yes. The, the, the standard, it's not even the standard. It's the dream that is told to us as being the dream that we ought to have. Sure. Even if it's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. But then we we discussed in the last episode about maybe we need to like scratch a little deeper for for those answers about like what whose dreams are you dreaming or what your what are your dreams, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and in reflecting on that, like the, the idea that we oftentimes just automatically sort of re- 
We have reached the part in the episode, everybody, where Shannon gesticulates so wildly that she knocks over her own microphone. For new listeners, this is a standard feature of the Misfit Stars podcast. We hope you love it. And if you don't love it, we hope you at least come to expect it because it happens literally every episode. I'm so sorry. Don't be sorry. Okay. It's a feature, it's, not a bug. Okay, good. So you were saying. So, you know, in reflecting on that idea that like so many of us will, will at various points in our lives sort of regurgitate sort of the expected dream that sort of that our, that our system sort of feeds us from the moment of birth, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that we're told that this is what you should want in your life. The, the really the idea that we do that when when I was listening back it kind of sounds like uh like the idea of internalized oppression sure and the idea of internalized oppression is the idea that you you know that that you ex- a person exists in a structure that is oppressing them mm-hmm. um and is not good for them <laughs> but living in being born into that system living in that system living and breathing and eating that system needing to survive within that system yes can cause a person to internalize to accept and even agree with mm-hmm. the ideas that are oppressing them or the structure that is impress- oppressing them even to take it on board as though it was their own idea yes exactly yeah um yeah because it, it, if society's dreams are actually working against us but we support them mm-hmm. still then that is the, that is the definition of internalized oppression, and I thought yeah. that was an interesting thing. And the reason I was thinking about it is because uh, of part of our conversation in our anti-racist book and movie club mm-hmm. this past weekend. Um, we were discussing the first half of of "You Are Your Best Thing," yeah, and a common theme in those essays um, that you know every the, each chapter was written by some a different author, you know, mm-hmm. so all black authors or writers writing their own experience in some way. Mm-hmm. Specifically, they're this, in, this, in this collection, they were writing um, essays that tied into their experience of shame and vulnerability mm-hmm. from their, their perspective as a person in black skin. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I was surprised to see this really common theme in those essays um, is that that these folks describe situations in which they were not able to live up to the standards of the societal dream because mm-hmm. they live in a country where the the norm, the default is whiteness. Sure. And so people who, you know, who are black, there are so many ways in which they're just not ever going to be able to live up to the standard of whiteness, which sure. is... This also goes for poor people. It goes for women to some extent. Right, but I was going to say, I was just saying though, in this book, this is the theme. This yep. is the theme running through these stories. Sure. But I think that, you know, that that idea um, is, like you said, it runs through lots of different people's experience. There, there, there are a lot of us who in very, in a lot of ways will never be able to live up to the American dream. Mm-hmm. Let's call it that. That's, I mean, that's, that's a phrase we use, right? Like it's not just society's dream. It's the American dream. Yeah. Right. There are so many of us who will not be able to live up to that. And I think that for a lot of us, and I know I've personally experienced this when I've not been able to live up to the American dream, I internalize that experience as being one of shame. Like I experience shame because there must be something wrong with me right. that I can't live up to what 
what society tells me I ought to be. And instead of, instead of saying, oh, well, there must be something wrong with society, I internalize it as, oh, there must be something wrong with me. Yep. And that, that experience of shame does all sorts of messed up things to you as a person, you know, like... Yeah, there's a, there's a whole lot of research about this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it inhibits uh, your ability to function mm-hmm. uh, in all areas of your life. It inhibits connection in relationships. It inhibits yep. your ability to uh, have a healthy financial life. It inhibits your ability to learn. It inhibits It causes your- mental wellness issues, like long-term, deep-seated mental wellness issues. It can manifest in, in bodily health issues as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just so many things that living with shame can do. I mean, I, I think that shame is, is a core uh, a, a core ingredient in, um, in addiction. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's, it's absolutely one of the core ingredients of that. Um, and so, you know, when you think about the fact that this is something that we all typically, here's an example. Isn't this an example? I remember when I was newly single and I was completely broke. Yep. And I was, you know, in I was 30, mm-hmm. in my early 30s. And I moved, I had moved to LA to kind of get a new start. And I had uh, found a job as a substitute teacher with LA Unified School District. Mm-hmm. And um, I worked as many days as I could, you know, as, as many days as I could get a job. I would work. I also was, you know, writing and performing music as often as I could as well. But I was dirt poor. Like yeah. I was, you know, barely making it, actually had to do that thing where you get like a cash advance on a credit card to pay rent a mm-hmm. couple of different months. Sure. Horrible financial decision, but I was like desperate, yeah. you know, in, the, in this transitional time. And I remember, you know, I had met a few, a handful of friends in LA that would ask me to go out, you know, to, to hang out with them, yeah. you know, like meet for drinks or dinner or whatever. Oh gosh, and, meeting for dinner in a group situation when you're broke is so stressful. Yeah. And I, I would go out and I'm like, and I would, I would, I wanted to socialize. I wanted to be with my friends. I, this is, you know, this was a very important thing to me, but to be, I remember being like in a restaurant with people and like feeling like, I'm like scouring the menu for the most, the least expensive thing because I needed to justify being there. Also, I was hungry, (laughs) you know, but feeling this, you know, when somebody was like, oh, let's get another round or let's- Let's just split the bill six ways. Right. Yeah. And feeling like- And you've ordered your $3 thing and no drinks and everyone else has ordered a $20 thing and five drinks and all of a sudden you're theoretically on the hook for like- a $28 bill when you're only expecting to spend three and you literally don't have $28 in your bank account? Exactly. Oh, and God. so I remember those those experiences. I had so many of them. Yeah, I've had them too. And the feeling I felt was shame. Here yes. I am, a 31-year-old woman who ought to be able to pay her bills and who ought to be able to afford to go out to dinner with her friends. Yeah. All of them can afford it. What's wrong with me? And why like, are you even there if you can't afford it? Yeah. Like, Do you I, even deserve to be there? Right. Yeah. And it was crippling and it was, yeah. you know, and that's, that's a small example, right? But that is, it, it is, it, cause there are, there are a lot, you know, of other scenarios in which, you know, the bill isn't $28, but the bill is your rent. And, and we've been in those circumstances too. Yeah. Like, how am I going to pay the rent next month? You know, and, and the feelings of shame that that can, that that can produce, you oh, know. Deep seated inadequacy. It's absolutely the worst feeling. And there's just knock on effects of, of internalizing that kind of experience, right? Oh man, you're like your body is making chemicals throughout the duration of that kind of experience that are not healthy mm-hmm. for you or good for you at all. It mm-hmm. affects your sleep. It affects uh, like 
how you digest food. Like it affects right. how you take nutrients out of the food you're able to eat. It's like, mm-hmm. it's really ridiculous. It affects you literally down to a cellular yeah. level when you're experiencing that kind of stress. For sure. And so in reading these stories in the in the book, yeah. uh, You Are Your Best Thing, like th- this was a common theme. And it also became very apparent that, you know, if you're a part of a group of of people whose status in this society is engineered to be lower in the hierarchy, like black people, easy mm-hmm. example, then it, that that automatically just creates even more opportunities for you to feel that kind of shame right. of not being able to measure up for us, not being able to measure up to a society that you that that was designed for you to never be able to measure up to. Yeah. It's like Sisyphean. It's like a game you can't win. It's a game you can't win. And 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 and, and but but we humans tend to internalize that experience as being our fault. Yeah. You know? And so when I when I sort of made that connection in our group discussion or in reading that book this last week, it was a really powerful thought that you know I can identify with that feeling of shame. You know that I need to I need to sit with this idea that folks who are who um, are parts of are in groups of people who you know are, are by design are lower in a, in this the hierarchy of mm-hmm. our current status quo that it's a heck of a lot worse for them and the 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 emotional toll that they that they uh, May experience is much much greater than what I've experienced, yeah. um, and and become it can, it can become debilitating. Oh, of you know? course, uh, yeah. I was sitting here while you were talking, thinking that uh, everything you just said, notwithstanding, mm-hmm. I do feel grateful in retrospect for having had the experience of experiencing that kind of poverty in somewhat a sustained way in my mm-hmm. own life. It was it was you know, only for a couple of years, yeah. but it was for a couple of years. And I mean, a day seems like forever when you're in that position. A couple mm-hmm. of years feels like a really, really long time. Mm-hmm. The system is engineered to work for me. So eventually I got out of it. You know, and I'm doing much better now. To work for you as a white male. That's right. Yeah, straight yeah. white male. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially. And, you know, I got out of it, but I feel lucky to have been in that position just because it gives me like an innate empathetic understanding of what people who are experiencing this at a systemic level are feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like some abstract intellectual thing for me, like, oh, that must be very terrible. Like, I know firsthand right. with the kind of memory that you never ever lose mm-hmm. how terrible it yeah. is. You know, and it's I, not, feel, I feel good about yeah, that. Yeah. And it's not that people who live in that kind of a state all the time aren't able to experience joy and contentment. It's just that the mountain to climb to get there is much higher (laughs) than it is for a lot of other groups of people who exist in a higher station in this hierarchy. And also you may just be randomly knocked back down to the beginning of the mountain again. Right. At any point. Right. To have to like just sort of start again. Mm -hmm. Because that just can happen when you're in that position. Yeah. So like a couple days after... Um, we recorded the last podcast and we were talking about dreams. Yeah. I just, I love this. I love this thing that happens in the universe when like you start to think about an idea and then that idea shows up everywhere and then you hear other people talking about it too and it's showing up for them as well. It's like, what is going on? There is something going on. (laughs) You know, I love that. Um, But just a couple days after we recorded the last thing about whose dreams are you dreaming, I picked up this this book, uh, The Four Agreements, which I bought years and years ago and it was sitting in a box. We just recently opened up some boxes of books that we had 
not opened since we moved here a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, I want to read that again. And it's it's a it's a the the four agreements is a it was written by Don Miguel Ruiz and it's based on um ancient Toltec wisdom. Um, Mexican um uh, people who lived in Mexico thousands and thousands of years ago sort of collecting these ideas and so it's it's there's a lot of it that's um it's it's a sprawling sort of read. It's it's uh, he goes from one thing to the next to the next to the next, and it, it it's I, I need to spend time with this book. It's not even that large of a book, yeah, <laughs> um, but it's dense. But it, yeah, but it's very dense. But there's just one section that jumped right off the page at me after our last podcast discussion. Mm-hmm. And I just want to read it um, directly to you now. Um, it's in one of the, toward the beginning of the book, and he says, "Humans are dreaming all the time before we were born." the humans before us created a big outside dream that we will call society's dream or the dream of the planet. The dream of the planet is the collective dream of billions of smaller personal dreams, which together create a dream of a family, a dream of a community, a dream of a city, a dream of a country, and finally a dream of the whole of humanity. The dream of the planet includes all of society's rules, its beliefs, its laws, its religions, its different cultures and ways to be, its governments, schools, social events, and holidays. We, were, we are born with the capacity to learn how to dream. And the humans who live before us teach us how to dream the way society dreams. Mm. The outside dream has so many rules that when a new human is born, we hook the child's attention and introduce these rules into his or her mind. The outside dream uses mom and dad, the schools and religion to teach us how to dream. And it, it goes on to talk about like the, you know, the things, the things included in society's dream. I mean, it's as simple as the language that we're using, sure. right? Like, do we agree this is how we talk? Like, I agree that this thing I'm holding right now is a book. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like we are taught the way to be and we are taught the way to dream from the moment we're born. But all of that is based on dreams that people had before us. Yeah, that worked for the people who are in control of the hierarchy. Right. right, which is why they get passed down. It's sort of an educational version of history is written by the winners. Yeah, yeah? totally. Right, absolutely. And you know, so this kind of domesticated dreaming recursively reinforces how we define the very boundaries of possibility. Yeah, if you think totally. about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like that framework is set for us literally from birth. Right. In the stories our parents tell us and the rules they pass down to us, mm-hmm. that defines. Our beginning framework, like the the left and right brackets, the 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 boundaries, the, the absolute left and right boundaries of what's possible, of what's not not just possible possible but acceptable. Oh, uh huh. And both, uh huh. You know, yeah, absolutely. Because Which, it's weird. Because but like possibility is in theory boundless, but in reality, it's bracketed by by the bounds of acceptability. Right. Right. So. So what do we do about that? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I have more to read in this book. I, I imagine there's going to be more to to digest. You know, it's been a long time since I've read this book. I mean, when you and I were talking about this passage before we started taping, mm-hmm. something that we touched upon is the idea, you know, that the fact that we are, that there are boundaries around possibility also implies 
the existence of a power that we have to refocus our dreams mm -hmm. onto what our personal dreams actually are mm. and then subsequently to teach those to the people who will come after us right like none of this is written in stone this is all right. just oral tradition yeah yeah absolutely but like the normative boundaries around it are remarkable so powerful it is so powerful they are they they keep us in line and they have for a very long time yeah <laughs> but i sense that there's more happening i sense that there are people who are sniffing around the edges of those boundaries and realizing that there's something beyond the dream we've learned. Yeah. I really sense that in the conversations that we're having with people, in the, you know, I, I, the, the podcasts I'm listening to, the music I'm listening to, mm -hmm. the stuff I'm reading, you know, like I get the sense that we as humanity are beginning to, to come to a, a sense that there's something more. I think that the the protests of last summer are an evidence of that. The, sure. the, the racial justice protests are evidence of humans realizing that there's, that there's something beyond this, the strictures of, of the dream we've been told we have to exist within. The extraordinary volatility of our domestic politics is probably another underscore to that yeah, idea. For you sure. Know, it feels like we are in an mm -hmm. earthquake-like moment where two mm -hmm. tectonic plates are pushing against one another. Mm -hmm. One of them eventually is going to go up mm -hmm. and the other one's going to go down. Mm -hmm. And it really feels like it's uncertain right now, which mm -hmm. is going to be which, mm -hmm. you know? And yeah. If you look at our society, you know, just the microcosm of American society, mm -hmm. you know, we're at this watershed moment right now where I could see it being equally possible that, you know, 50 years from now, we are a flourishing Norway-esque democracy. No, a thriving better than that because we'll be a multiracial democracy. Yes, that's true. Yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. uh, so even better than Norway, multiracial <laughs> Norway. It's going to be wonderful. Uh, and the other possibility is that uh, that we're a fascist state. Yeah. You know, and and, and it's... And, and both are equally possible right now. The outcome those, is not predetermined. No, those tectonic plates are just like equal right now and pushing really hard against one another. Yeah. But I think that's where that sense of possibility that you're mm -hmm. talking about, mm -hmm. like that's another bit of evidence for yeah. it, you know? And that's part of what the possibility is. Yeah. The possibility that if this thing resolves itself in a positive way, mm -hmm. then there will be a dramatic expansion of those brackets around the edges of what's possible. Hmm. When you said that, I felt my body just like instinctively want to take a deep breath. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, please that yeah right you last week or not last week in the last podcast we touched on a couple of points uh that your cousin gretchen had emailed to us in response to one of our podcasts yeah. prior to that mm -hmm. she had so many great ideas can you reintroduce gretchen and then because i think that the what she another one of the things she had to say just fits right in with this as a yeah. great segue from where we've just been in this discussion. Yeah. So, so my cousin, Gretchen Seacrest, uh, so she's working right now on her MS, that's a master's of science in sustainability science at UMass Amherst. So what's sustainability science? It's the science of how to meet the needs of present and future generations while substantially reducing poverty and conserving the planet's life support systems. So it's just it's kind of emergent new science yeah. study field. It's just rad let's sounding. Let's all study that, please. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Like, let's teach this in school, yeah. you know? Like, do we need to know chemistry more than this? Maybe not. Maybe we do sustainability science in seventh grade. Good point. Yeah. Uh, so she, as part of what she had written to us, you know, apropos this discussion, said, 
And this is a quote from her. She says, as long as our education and culture are built on imperialist white supremacy, they replicate it. Which is exactly what this book was saying, right? Yeah. Like, like our, we learn the dreams that have been dreamed before for society mm-hmm. and we adopt, like we replicate them. If it goes unexamined, we just replicate that. Yeah, and so if you're living in an imperialist, an imperialist white supremacist environment, mm-hmm. that's the oral tradition. That's mm-hmm. what gets passed down. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. No, 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 it's good. She continues, like you said, it's crucial to recognize our place in this system. And yet, so difficult to do because it's the only system we know. Mm-hmm. And it provides great benefits for those of us in the, in the first world. Yeah, and she, she in, in her context of the larger comment, she was talking about how American consumption has these incredibly bad knock-on effects in third world countries. Right. You know, like they're the ones who bear all the brunts, all the economic dislocation, all the worst of the climate change effects, yeah. all of that, mm-hmm. you know. But um, I think that also applies to the, you know, the last sentence she says there, it provides great benefits for those of us or for those who exist in a higher position in the hierarchy. Yes, that's right. You know, and that could, that could be true within America yeah, as well. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, it's, and it's such a good point, right? And that's what we're, that's in that political discussion we're having in our country right now, that's where the pushback is coming from, from the other side. Mm-hmm. All of the people who are super afraid of like, you know, healthcare for everybody. The reason they're afraid of healthcare for everybody is because it would be a massive disruption, financially speaking, to the way we have organized our country. Mm-hmm. And that's a value neutral statement, right? It would just be mm-hmm. a disruption. Disruptions aren't necessarily good or bad. You know, mm-hmm. they could be one or they could be the other. But the people who are concerned about this, I think, they view the potential for that disruption as being a disruption to the benefit that they have received, those of them who have received it. Right. You know? Right. Like, there's not a whole lot of, like, really poor people who are against free healthcare. It's mostly just, like, well-to-do people because I think they view that it would be... Their simplistic and uneducated view of it is that it would mean more taxes out of them, which would mean fewer benefits accruing from our society to them personally. Mm -hmm. And they would rather that not happen because they're fine, thanks. I imagine also that that there's a lot of internalized oppression. Yes. (laughs) Also, that that there probably are a number, quite a a lot of of people who live, who are are poor, Mm -hmm. who have adopted the idea that giving healthcare for free to people is bad because reasons. Well, maybe the reasons are that like, this is the way America does its healthcare system and America's the best. (laughs) Right, USA, USA. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I was thinking this morning, this is not in our notes and I'm totally rabbit trailing here and I apologize for this. Do it. But I was thinking earlier today about something and I don't even know what caused this train of thought. But I was thinking about the idea of like the issue of racism, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's easy to, it's, it's, it's a, a simple way to boil down racism and talk about it in terms of hate, right? Like that's often how the the discussion devolves into like, well, racism is about, you know, one group of people hating another group of it's people. It's about personal bigotry. Sure. But specifically like, like we, we think about it in terms of like people's, like having an emotional, hateful reaction to another group of people. But I don't think that that's actually... I don't, I don't think that happens all that much. That does happen, right? We see sure. evidence of that all the totally, time. Yeah. But I think that racism and like the the the, the racism that, that people internalize and live with mm-hmm. and, and adopt, it's not usually hate-driven. It is more driven by 
a fear of being dislodged from their position in the hierarchy. Yeah. And not wanting to give up that sense of power. Sure. You know, and so it's not really even about another person or another group of people. It's purely selfish. Oh, absolutely. It's purely self-focused yeah. is what I mean, you know? Which is why the great replacement theory is such an effective white supremacist messaging tool, right? right. That like when those neo-Nazis in Charlottesville were chanting, Jews will not replace us, that's the replacement that they were talking right. about. It's their position in the hierarchy. Right, right. So it's interesting. Like I think that like language matters, you know, and I like it's, it's important for me to get the words right to say what I mean, you know? And so like in the, in the discussion of like racism, I don't know that it's all that useful really to talk about it being a, an issue of hate versus yeah, right. hate versus love, no. you know? I mean, yes. That's like a sideshow. That's what they distract you with. Right. But I think that, that the more pertinent conversation is that, that, that the system is upheld. A racist, our racist system is upheld our white supremacist, what did Gretchen say? Our uh, imperialist white supremacist system mm -hmm. is upheld by people's fear of losing their place in the hierarchy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, a, a really, you know, as with anything that you're trying to get to the bottom of, it's always really instructed to follow the money, right? Right. And what that translates to in a situation like this is just asking yourself, who does this benefit? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. where do the benefits accrue in a system like this? Right. Well, and in our society, money equals power. So it's 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 about power. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, like, this is it underscores for me the importance of doing work individually. You know, if if our like anti-racist work, you mean? Yeah, like yeah, or justice work in general too. Mm -hmm. But you know, specifically since we were just in our anti-racist book club this mm -hmm. last week, you know, yeah, like that's that's so important that that I do that work as an individual and examine the ideas that I've accepted without question because I've grown up in America. Yeah. You know, like I need to actually examine those things. It's like examining the air that you breathe. Like you don't even think about it. It's just there. It's yeah, pervasive. Exactly. What if you question it? Because when each of us, when enough of us do that, like if, if the, if society's dream is built, is built by billions of personal dreams mm -hmm. <laughs> right then then the more of us that do that work individually the more we can reshape what society's dream is yes. you know that individual work is 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 an essential part of it uh in in being able to reimagine our society yeah um i think that's right i mean if you think about us as each being a node, like a little cell yeah. in like if society is an organism and we're each like one little cell. Yeah. Like we need to sort of adjust our cellular framework. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, this is true more generally uh, for liberal education. What do you mean? Um, that it's really important to do like that kind of work at a societal level, right? Mm. To have like liberal arts type of education, mm. right? Not just like like this common core mm. cancer that has taken over like our, our society over the last like, what is it now, 30 years? Like you and I just barely escaped it in high school. So I guess it's about like 25 years, right? But like you get so much teaching now, they're like, you're like, you're being taught facts to a test where you can mm -hmm. memorize things and regurgitate them. Mm -hmm. But what you're not being taught is context. You're not being taught any kind of context. Right. You're also not being taught any kind of art or music or anything that would naturally expand your mind and in that, the ways that... 
that that side of the brain can do. And that has to do a lot with funding, you know, yes. because we have, as a, as a society, have decided that uh, those things are as important to us as the math and science. Yeah, well, I have a theory about why we've decided as a society about that, right? <laughs> and my theory is that we, you and I, did not make that decision at all. Right. I think... Uh, it's precisely, I think it's that the people who want to preserve the status quo in our country are terrified mm. of liberalism in education. And when I say liberalism, I mean like small l. I don't mean like teaching them Democrat stuff. You're you not know what talking I mean? about a political ideology. No, I'm not. I'm not saying that everyone has to read like ta Coates all the time. You know what I mean? Although they should. They should. He's wonderful. <laughs> but that's not even the point. The point is that there should be an education that teaches you how to synthesize thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. How to take various data points and integrate them and synthesize mm -hmm. them into a worldview. Mm -hmm. Education is so siloed right now, and that's really intentional. Mm -hmm. I think that people do not want our kids to be able to have media literacy, right? Mm -hmm. Because media literacy is a wonderful example of that synthesis that I was just talking about, mm -hmm. where you take knowledge from here and knowledge from here and knowledge from here and use it to inform your worldview. As opposed to what's happening now, which is you don't get taught at all how to analyze mm -hmm. media and where it's coming from, what it's doing to you. And so you just end up sitting in front of Fox all the time, getting radicalized further and further and further to mm -hmm. the right, you know? And I think it's important to say that, that there are lots of teachers out there who actually do, and lots of educators who actually do care about oh, those yes. things. But they're but not... The, but they're hamstrung. They're, the system they're working within works against them. The incentives in the system, the built-in incentives are no teach math science. Yeah. yeah. yeah they're, they're, it's an uphill climb for them to teach the way that they want to teach. Oh, that's exactly it. And, and the that's way that on we purpose. need for them to teach. I think that's on purpose because I think that the people who the status quo serves are terrified of education, of books, of ideas. Well, They're terrified of examining the default framework that, that has been passed down to us. We're seeing this example right now as all these states uh, are passing, these, these states that are controlled by Republican legislatures, um, are passing these laws banning the teaching of critical race theory, right? Which they just take to it's their stupid jargon, but what they mean is they don't want you to talk about racism. They don't want they don't want their teachers to teach racism. In fact, the first that was reported last week, there was a teacher in Tennessee who was fired uh, fired and it, the the school board upheld his termination. Yeah. Because he he teaches a class called like contemporary issues. Yeah. Okay. And if you don't recognize like racism and the movement for social justice as being a contemporary issue, then I'm not sure what society you're looking at yeah, right now. It's been in but the news. It's, it's, it's a thing. But he assigned in his contemporary issues class, he, he assigned uh, readers, was it a Ta-Nehisi Coates? It was a Ta-Nehisi Coates essay. It was a Ta-Nehisi Coates essay in The Atlantic. And he, he was fired for assigning this at, because of- As Tennessee, reading in his class. As Yeah, class reading. And this is all coming under Tennessee's new law banning teachers from 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 talking about racism. And you know, I, I hope that the ACLU takes up his case and like reinstates either reinstates his position or at least fights back against the against the idea that the school districts can fire a teacher for doing this because it's it's ridiculous. Yes, it is. Um, it's a huge infringement of First Amendment rights. Mm -hmm. And like, so, but we're seeing this right now, right? Like these states don't want like. Here's, like, we're not even talking about like teachers teaching a point of view. The, the states are, 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 are these, these states are making it illegal to talk about racism because talking about racism in and of itself is, quote, divisive. Yeah. 
and anti-American. And that's wild because it's American history. Yeah. That's what they're saying you can't talk about is American history. Right. So they're... The, the the thing to do with students, the thing to do with people who are learning with learners, is to give them here are the here are the facts and here are some here are the skills you need to like work through these facts and just and determine what you think about them. Yeah. like critical thinking. Yeah. You know, we argue about it in class. That's how class works. Right, but these these states are making it illegal to actually even have that conversation. So they're 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 codifying their point of view. And that's sinister as hell because, oh you know, gosh. there's that saying, uh, people who don't learn history are doomed to repeat it. And I think that there's a corollary to that, mm. which is that someone who specifically doesn't want you to be able to learn about a certain part of history mm. wants to be able to do it again. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. And so, yeah, this is a this is a current example with the, the question of racism. Um, but I think that the same thing applies to just how we talk about our economic system and our system of government. And, you know, like we we need to be able to learn about and examine these things. And we need to each individually be doing these things, learning and examining the things that we've just accepted as the default they're only the default because someone else before us said that they were. Yeah, because it benefited that person. <laughs> exactly. So on all these things, like, so I always, want, I always in these discussions want to bring it back to, okay, well, what do I do about this? Right. You know, like we can talk till we're blue in the face about like the problems that exist, <laughs> you know, but so like, what can we do? And, you know, I, that usually comes down to a discussion of what can I do personally because I there's not much I can do to affect a system at large <laughs> on my own, but I can do things on the personal level. So we, we jotted down some thoughts about that. You know, um, I feel I feel like this last the this time that we had for ourselves over the last couple of weeks, mm-hmm. um, personal time that we had, yeah, was really beneficial for me in this regard. The first part of the, of our time away was visiting with you know people and stuff and that was great the second part was more just you and me in the car driving up the coast and having you know disconnecting um like and- we didn't even listen to podcasts or music people like we just listened to the sound of the road and the sound of the wind and the seagulls and the seagulls and the birds and and we chatted and every it. once in a while yep we chatted a lot because that's what we do and we're chatty yeah. with yeah. each other but we didn't really fill our we didn't spend the time filling our heads with with other people's ideas we just sort of sat with our own thoughts yeah and it was great to just disconnect you yeah. know to disconnect from from the normal pace um and i think for me personally like i you know one of the things i did and i i didn't even like plan to do this beforehand but mm-hmm. i ended up doing it and i pretty much disconnected from my devices almost entirely mm-hmm. like you know how your iphone if you have an iPhone, every like once a week, it'll tell you um, how many hours you spent an average per day on yeah. the iPhone. The other day, um, the last the last of those updates I got was like your iPhone usage time has gone down to, and it was like what was the percentage? It was I don't remember the percentage, um, but it was down to like an one hour and twenty eight minutes a day. On That's average. wild. It's usually like five. Well, because, and the, the time that I was on was mostly in the last week was like looking at the map for where we were going to go next. Yeah. You know, I was, I was using my phone for that kind of information and I would like get into my email and delete spam every morning 
but that was about it. You know, like I didn't really use my phone at all. I didn't, I didn't set out saying I'm going to disconnect from devices, but I just did because it felt yeah. right and good. And I like, I feel like, I feel like what, what that did for me in a couple ways, like, first of all, just not having the impulse to just pick up my phone mm-hmm. felt really good. Like mm-hmm. to relearn how to maybe just sit and do nothing in a moment when I have nothing to do. Like if I was like waiting for you to come back from the bathroom or mm-hmm. something, like what if I just sat here and looked at that redwood tree Yeah. instead of like busying myself with something or distracting my attention mm-hmm. with my phone? That was nice. But I think that because I, in, in not using my devices, I was not on social media as much. Like I really... I, I, I'm, con- I'm I, I've been on this I've been on this path somewhat over the last many months, but I continue to be on it. Like, I'm not feeling like social media is really serving me mm-hmm. all that well, um, and so I'm wanting to redefine my relationship with it. And this is, it's kind of like, you know, when Facebook started, it seemed like a great idea. Oh, it's a great way to stay connected with people. And it was to maintain- fun. It was kind of pure. Yeah. And so, um, but somewhere along the way, Facebook's dreams for Facebook diverted from what my dreams for Facebook were. Like to bring it back to this conversation, mm-hmm. like my dreams are not Facebook's dreams, but like if I stayed in that stream, then my dreams become Facebook's dreams. Yeah. And I don't want that. No. <laughs> you know, and that so, algorithm does not have your best interests at heart. Not at all. And it does bad things for me too. So, like, on I, purpose. Mm hmm. Yeah. So it's just, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to take some power back in that area of my life. You know, I, I do want to stay connected. I do want to use that technology to do things that are good for me, but I do not want it to overtake me. Um, and so I'm spending very little time on Facebook these days. I'll post something here or there mm-hmm. and it just feels like a good place for me to, a, a good way for me to reroute my brain in terms of what dreams am I dreaming? Yeah. You know? Like, you know, that makes, it makes sense to me to be doing that. And this last week really underscored, like I felt a greater sense of just peace, contentment and tranquility over the last four days that I have in a while. And I think it's a big part of it that I wasn't like in my phone all the time. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, like Facebooking is part of what we do for work. Mm -hmm. And so what you're saying is you felt relaxed on vacation because you weren't working. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which is not exactly well, reinventing the wheel. <laughs> no, no, I hear you. I feel you. I'm being silly. I, know I mean, you are. it's hard, right? It's hard for us to tease that apart because there is something deeply unhealthy about this social medium. Mm-hmm. But also, it is where we stay connected to most of the people who support our work. And I'm not sure where that shakes out. I totally agree with you. But I think also what this disconnection allows for me to do as is, is allowing me to do is like, it's it's not that Facebook is the goal, right? Like the goal is to be connected with people. Yeah. So that that's the value. That's the thing that is true to what I want. Yeah. That's true to my dream. Yeah. You know? So if if I think that Facebook's not a good vehicle to do that, then I need to figure out what the other possibilities are. Well, you know, and to, to break ha- th- break out of those strictures of the dream, that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, the acceptable boundaries. Yeah. You know, and we have invented our own social network. And I will mm-hmm. say that I did spend time in our private social network uh, mm-hmm. while we were on vacation and I enjoyed it mightily. I was mm-hmm. like you, barely on Facebook uh, because, like you, I find that I can feel the algorithm at work and it doesn't mm-hmm. feel healthy or good. Mm-hmm. But, you know, our private social network has none of the things that make 
Facebook bad. Yeah. It doesn't have that algorithmic manipulation. It just is people in conversation and it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And people over this last week were sharing some really deep stuff and I loved it and I was mm-hmm. part of the conversation. I wanted to be part of the conversation because yeah. we love our people. Yeah. That's not the issue. I love all our people on Facebook too. If you're listening to this and you're not in our private social network and we're only connected on Facebook, like I love you. I'm so stoked that we're connected. Yeah. I want to remain connected with you. It's just that the platform, the Facebook platform is making mm-hmm. that increasingly hard and sometimes a little painful. Yeah, for It makes sure. it feel unhealthy. And I don't want to have an unhealthy feeling, a feeling of unhealthiness attached to my interaction with you. Yeah. Because that doesn't feel good either because then mm-hmm. I make, the, then I associate that feeling with you, mm-hmm. listener. <laughs> and I don't want that. I only want to feel good, happy thoughts about you. Yeah. Uh, you know, and we have to, we have yet to figure out exactly how we grow our personal social network and move more people over. Part of what's weird about that is that Facebook is free for everybody. We have, up till this moment, had our uh, private social network be, you have to you have to be pay- Be a supporter. A supporter, you have to pay a monthly uh, like subscription mm-hmm. to be in there. I think on balance that that's a good incentive because it makes, it, it, it keeps just like looky-loos who might be problematic out. Yeah. Like if you're gonna come just like be a dick in a social space, <laughs> like you'll do it somewhere where you can like, like Twitter, you can sign up for free. You can make an anonymous account with the anonymous profile picture and you can just go troll people all day long mm-hmm. and be a jerk. But would you pay five bucks a month to do that? Probably nobody would. It's mm-hmm. just five bucks a month. It's 17 cents a day. It's not very much money for most people, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it just makes it so that it's sort of self-curating so no one's probably going to be a jerk in there. Right. And people are literally bought into the platform and yeah. I think that's healthy and good. You know, also I recognize in the same breath that it's a massive barrier to getting people to sign up because if we just said to people on Facebook, hey, come over to our social network. It's just our thing. Just move on over and come hang out with us. Probably a lot of people would do it. But as soon as you're like, it costs 16 cents a day, people are like, hell no. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's just like this weird thing. Yeah. And I've, you know, thinking out loud here, I haven't figured out like exactly how properly to transition that yet. But I recognize that there's a need in my life for more people to interact with us in the space that we've set up that's healthier. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? So now the question is how to migrate people over to that much healthier feeling right. space. Right. And, you know, germane to this whole conversation, social media is one aspect of sort of like how I feel like over the last couple of weeks, I've sort of really the last few months I've been sort of reevaluating my participation in society's dream (laughs) and how I want to reorient that was that's one aspect of it Mm -hmm. I think also these last couple weeks that you know especially in our time when we were visiting friends there was one friend of yours specifically who we visited who just an old old boss of mine named Jeff yeah who asked we had such a great hangout and He's just the kind of person that really cares to understand deeper levels of the why and the how behind a, any given situation, you know? Yeah. And so he asked the best questions and it led to some great conversation. And it, like for me, you know, sitting around the fire pit that night talking with him was just really neat. Like the, the questions he asked required me to sort of step out of myself mm-hmm. for a moment to answer. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it was a good, it was a good perspective to get in terms of like, he, he wanted to know like the why of what we do. And so like, it was an opportunity to revisit for myself, what my values are, like yeah. who I am, who I am, who I want to be, how, what I do in my work 
reflects that or doesn't, you know, like, like I think it's good to check in on that. Everyone's the beginning of the pandemic was a huge moment of that for us. Yeah, for sure. You know, it was a big, like step on the brakes. Okay. We can't keep going in the way that we've been going. We've, physically can't do it because it would be dangerous, yeah. <laughs> you know, pandemic raging. Okay. So if we're starting over, then what are our values? Let's start from that place. You know, I think that that's an important exercise to do from time to time. And I appreciated the conversations that we had with Jeff that night because it was just another opportunity to touch base with, okay, what's important to me? What do I want to be about? Mm. What are my dreams? Yeah. You know, and, and how, how do we, how do I pursue those things in the context of this, you know, of the American dream? <laughs> how can, how can a, a little bit of how I dream undo that a little bit and reimagine that a little bit for the, as part of a greater whole, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I have no answers. I, I, I'm in the yeah. middle of reflecting on all this. This is not like I had, I had a couple weeks off and now I'm back and I'm, I had 40 days in the desert. Yes, totally. I've had my epiphany. But you know, that said, that's, this is an important part. I think, like, think, you know, I, I, I understand the great privilege that we had to take some time to unplug. Mm-hmm. Like not everybody gets a chance yeah. to just like exit normal pace of life yeah. every once in a while. So like huge privilege to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. But I think that it underscores the importance of doing that when we can and if we can. Yeah, you, you know? and I are not good at that. And I just mean people in general. Like I oh, think, yes. you know, like it's important to carve out time to be still and quiet. Yeah. And to take yourself out of the the normal routine. Um because I think that that's where that's where powerful shifts can happen. It's mm-hmm. where new insight can come and which, can grow. Which I think is exactly why the powers that be want us <laughs> to be working ourselves to the bone and poor. Right. Because if we are constantly preoccupied mm-hmm. with baseline survival, mm-hmm. we may literally not have the time to dream those dreams that you're yeah. talking about. Let's be the kind of people that encourage each other to do that. You know, let's mm-hmm. let's be the kind of people that that encourage people to take time for self care and rest and reflection. You know, let's not be part of the grind culture. Let's no. not be part of the go 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 go. Look at me, I'm so busy. Let's be the part of. Let's be the anti that. <laughs> let's support political leaders who will make it so that healthcare is viewed in this country as a human right as mm-hmm. it is in every other westernized democracy in the entire world. Because right. the reason for that is that when you have your basic needs in terms of not having to like worry about like what happens if I get hit by a bus? Like mm-hmm. who will pay for my healthcare? Right. Once that's off the table, you can start a small business. You can try something and fail. Right. You can try something and try again. You're not tied to any particular job in order to maintain your healthcare. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, we could just be doing so much better as a society. And if we support as our avatars, people whose dreams are aligned more with dreams that will support us and our personal ability Mm -hmm. to dream, Mm -hmm. we're going to do better first at our individual cellular level, but then Mm -hmm. we'll have a healthier society too. Yeah. 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 I, um, you know, more on the, what can we do? What can I do Mm -hmm. level of things? I think, one of the, like Sunday's book club conversation was, is one of those things for me, mm. you know, like doing more of things like that mm-hmm. where we're, where I'm engaging specifically, you know, with a, with a community of people around the idea of rewiring our brains yeah. around a topic. In this case, it's, you know, racism, um, 
but you know, getting intentional about about doing that kind of work together, encouraging people to do it. The the one of the threads through um, through the book that we discussed, that you are you are your best thing, was the idea that um, when you're talking about how shame really keeps us in cycles of oppression, mm-hmm. you know, and it keeps us. If shame is one of the one of the one of the things that keeps us in oppression, mm-hmm. that actually then dealing with that shame and working through it, rewire, reimagining what our lives look like in that in in the context of those things that have caused us shame and healing. What we're talking about is healing, <laughs> healing through through that um, is kind of an antidote to ending oppression. Like this, it was a really powerful thing in this book. And I feel like we're going to get more into this in this next week's discussion about it. Mm -hmm. But like there were some folks who actually talked about how the idea that healing from shame and, and learning to find connection through uh, vulnerability with others is potentially, I mean, it sounds wild, but they were, they were, these writers in the book were asserting that doing that is potentially an antidote to white supremacy. Yeah, right. Like then that sounds bonkers on face value like really like doing this internal work is maybe the thing that can help us unravel white supremacy but when you read the accounts that they that they've written and and you read their experience and you and you understand the power that that shame has in our lives and the power mm-hmm. that vulnerability has to overcome those things in ways that keep us down like i believe it i believe that this kind of internal work is maybe the everything. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> Internal work is the only kind of work you can do. Yeah. You can't change anything but yourself. Right. But if enough of us normalize the idea of mm. changing ourselves in that way, mm-hmm. then it will become a movement. Mm-hmm. And movements are how you make change happen. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. We can only ever change ourselves. We can also be people who uh, are focused on creating space that invites others to do that work for themselves. Yeah. And also being like safe people to do that work around or near. Yeah. Like to, to safe people with whom to be in community to do that work as a group. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Those are things we can do. And we can each do that. Anyone can do that. And you know, I feel like that's, you know, I say this, I've said this before, like, you know, 20, oh, it's been longer than that. 25 years ago mm-hmm. when I knew I wanted to be a musician, mm-hmm. you know, I, like, I felt this deep calling mm-hmm. like I and I don't say that in a religious sense I say that in like a I had a spiritual experience that was like you're gonna be a musician yeah I couldn't deny it I knew it was true I had 25 years ago I had no idea what that meant or why and I've been on sort of a two and a half decades sort of journey of figuring out the why, the, you know, when Jeff was asking us the questions about getting to the heart of the why of what we do, <laughs> I've been on a two and a half decade long journey to uncover that. Yeah. And I'm, st- it's still being revealed to me, but right now anyway, you know, like we were saying earlier, music is, is a front door, but the thing, the thing that's inside the house that really matters to me is, is being a person who is working on herself, who is, who is, reorienting her brain away from the dreams that this world gave me and to what my my authentic dreams are mm-hmm. and being a person who's doing that in conversation and connection and in community with other people who are doing that yeah. and creating space for other people to inviting more people into that house 
Yeah. You know, like that's really what this, that's really what, when I, uh, when I take a snapshot of like the definition of what I think my values are and where my dreams, where, what, what, what soil my dreams grow in, that's it. Mm-hmm. Right now. Anyway. Well, that's lovely. Well, thanks. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it'll evolve. I'm, I, but that's, I where, that's yeah. where I'm at right now. Yeah, that's good. What do you think, people? What are your thoughts? Yeah. I, I, again, this conversation has continued for four episodes now because mm-hmm. you've given us your thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> and we would really love to hear more of your thoughts. And perhaps we'll have a, an episode five. Who knows? Topic. <laughs> yeah, you know, change is a big topic. Mm. Evolution is a big topic. Hmm. Uh, evolution is a good word for, for what I think that we're we're in the middle of right now. Mm-hmm. Collectively. Yeah. And also individually in the middle of that. Because that's how it happens. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, uh, people, thank you so much for spending your time with us. New listeners, we don't typically do an hour and uh, like 47 minutes. Holy moly. Is that how long we've been talking? It's like two episodes. Crazy. I'm sorry. But you know what? We had a lot bottled up inside from not doing the podcast for two weeks. We did. You got to imagine that all the new listeners got about an hour into it. You know what? This is a lot. (laughs) You two two are a lot. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, thank you. If you're still listening, thank you for spending some time with us. It really means a lot that you did that. And yeah. um, we will be back next week with more stuff. Who knows what at this point? We'll just keep our ears and our hearts open for what that might be. Yeah. And we'll go there. Uh, but in the meantime, if you want to become a supporter of this podcast mm-hmm. or a, a supporter of what we're doing in general. It's really a supporter of what we're doing in the world. Yeah. The podcast is part of it, but it's not the It is. It is one thing. So you can go to misfitstars.com slash support. Mm-hmm. And thank you in advance for doing that. It really does help. And the tangible way it helps in the world, the thing that you're making happen in the world when you support our work is you're helping us pour ourselves into other people and hopefully give them tools to be better versions of themselves. Be it in our anti-racist book and movie club or in the ongoing mentorship that I'm doing of a small army at this point of other artists, musicians, home recordists, Mm -hmm. self-producers. We're working to empower other people in the world to hopefully do good things and and make their voices more heard. That's what you're making happen when you support our work. So, misfitstars.com slash support. Yes. But now let's imagine you're not a supportive type. You're like, I don't want to support things. I just want to join. I'm a joiner. Oh, well, that's yes. fine. Just join go to us. Just go to misfitstars.com slash join. You don't have to worry about the whole support thing. Other people can do that. You can just be a joiner. That's fine, too. Yeah. No wrong way to do it. I love it. Yeah. Um, all right. We'll be back next week. We will see you then. But in the meantime, uh, take good care of yourselves and be good to each other. Yeah. We love you guys. <laughs> see you later. Bye. Bye.